In Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 and following. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if a household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls, every man according to his caring or eating shall make your account for the lamb. Uh, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male for the first year. You shall, make, uh, shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it to the two side posts on the upper door po uh, post of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, uh, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs, uh, with the uh, pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning shall ye shall burn with fire. I want to continue on what we started last week, talking about the high price of redemption. Uh, we started last week talking about that redemption is wonderful, but there is a high cost uh, to our redemption today. We understand that the nation of Israel found themselves in bondage, in servitude, in slavery uh, in Egypt itself. For hundreds of years, they were there under the heavy hand of Pharaoh, doing everything that Pharaoh asked of them to do. And yet they were living in some bad situations. It got worse and worse, perhaps, with each and every uh, passing day. And yet we know that as, uh, they were suffering in various ways. Uh, they were suffering in pain, in isolation, uh, in sorrow, and no doubt they were confused. And they're thinking, God, where are you? Have you forgotten about us? Uh, have you, are you no longer mindful of the needs that we have? And yet the scripture tells us that God saw and God heard their cries and God came down and he brought deliverance unto them. I'm grateful to tell you today that that freedom from, Israel, from Egypt, it came with a high price. Redemption always has a price tag to it. It may not cost us anything to get saved, but it's going to cost us our very life to remain that way and to stay that way within the Christianity. We understand that uh, God heard their prayer, God saw their need, and God came down to deliver them, and he used a man by the name of Moses to be his spokesman. You all know the story well. God invested a lot of time and a lot of years in this man Moses. He spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court. He himself was a Jew, but he was raised as an Egyptian, educated in the school of Egypt, and yet he had Jewish blood running through his veins. So for 40 years, he thought he was somebody in Pharaoh's court, and then he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert uh, thinking that he was a nobody. But God took the next 40 years and took a nobody and made a somebody out of him. Uh, so God had to put him through the school of hard knocks to get him to a place where he would say yes to God and be an instrument to be a voice, if you will, uh, representing God before uh, the Pharaoh of all of Egypt itself. God gave Moses instructions uh, to tell Pharaoh and God gave Moses the authority and the power to back up everything uh, that God said he was going to do. But God, con uh, Pharaoh continued uh, to harden his heart toward God. 
God, and he refused to let the people go. He continued to uh, mock the, uh, the, the, the words of God and, and turn down the words of Moses and even made the living conditions uh, in Egypt uh, that much worse for all the people that were there. Uh, we understand that uh, God sent plagues upon the nation of Egypt. And at first, the magicians in Egypt uh, were able to duplicate or to mimic uh, some of the miracles that God wrought. But little by little, uh, they get, began to be more severe. Uh, they began to more more severe within the judgments that were outpoured uh, from God upon Egypt. And they finally realized we cannot mimic these, these miracles of God. Uh, we cannot duplicate these miracles of God. And they said we have to admit that God himself, uh, the finger of God, is ministering within our midst. Nine plagues were outpoured upon the nation of Egypt from the Almighty God. And each plague that was outpoured upon Egypt was a direct hit uh, to the gods that Egyptians were worshiping. Uh, one thing's for sure, God hates sin and God certainly hates idolatry. And here they were worshiping all these false deities, all these false gods, and every plague that God outpoured uh, was a direct hit upon the gods of Egypt during that time. And yet Pharaoh said with his mouth, okay, Moses, I get God's message. Let the people go. But every time he said that with his mouth, his actions were 180 degrees opposite because he would not let the people go. He continued to harden his heart toward God. Now finally, the last plague to be outpoured. This plague involved a major sacrifice. It involved a blood sacrifice. The tenth plague was different from all of the rest. It was severe, uh, striking down the firstborn male in every household that had not prepared their household for the passing of the death angel of that day. Also, I remind you that with this particular Passover lamb that was slain and the blood applied to the doorposts and lentils, it inaugurated uh, the Jewish feast of Passovers uh, that's even honored up to this day. But secondly, uh, that Passover is the clearest picture of redemption in the Old Testament uh, that we can possibly find anywhere. But it's also a picture of something else. Uh, just as God delivered the nation of Israel away from Pharaoh and the bondage of Egypt, it's also a picture of how God delivers us from Satan and from the power of sin itself. I'm here to tell you, it is always a price to be paid when it comes to redemption. Now this was to be a first day of a brand new life for the nation of Israel. Their slavery would be a thing of the past. Their fears of Pharaoh would be no more. Eating from the flesh pots would be history. A break, making of bricks uh, would be a thing of the past for them. And the misery of Egypt uh, was about to be exchanged change for the promises of God which would be fulfilled in a brand new land to promise which would be called the promised land. Freedom was now in sight. Can you imagine all of those years living as a slave? All of those years in pain and suffering. All of those years life had taken from them. But now all of a sudden freedom is in sight. There is no freedom can compare to walking away from the burdens of the past. And the more painful the past has been, thank God there's more joy in leaving that thing behind. And brothers and sisters, if God Almighty does not have an answer for our past, we can have no confidence whatsoever uh, in the future. But we serve a God
God of grace, a God of mercy, and a God that can redeem the past and redeem us for time and redeem us for eternity. As far as Moses, his confidence in God uh, was growing with each and every passing day. The first nine plagues uh, had convinced Moses uh, that God had a cause and that cause was going to triumph uh, in the final analysis. He was getting to know the God of judgment. He knew a God that hated idolatry. He knew a God that would judge uh, uh, the wicked and the wrong. But now Moses needed to see a glimpse of God's love, a glimpse of God's graciousness, a glimpse of God's mercy, a glimpse of God's grace. And he was about to get that uh, that time. I remind you, brothers and sisters, uh, that the, the, no man, no man or no woman uh, can know God unless he or she is a student of redemption. For salvation is God at his finest. I said salvation is God at his finest. When I was hell bound, when I was miserable, when I was in bondage, here comes the grace and the mercy and the love of God. God showed his finest. He gave his greatest. The day that I walked down the altar, I don't know about you, but the day I said goodbye to sin and hello to God, goodbye to death and hello to life, goodbye to hell and hello to heaven, I'm here to tell you, God showed his greatest that day as far as I'm concerned. Through this door, we enter into a sacred council and a glimpse of his purposes. Now, friend, I don't know how God communicated the Passover instructions to Moses. Moses had become keenly aware of the voice of God. He walked with him. He became a friend to God. To my knowledge, Moses is the only man that God ever buried. He was a friend to God. He knew the voice of God. Whether God spoke to him audibly, I don't know. Whether Moses was accustomed to the inward impression, I don't know. But somehow or another, God was able to speak to this man by the name of Moses. The heart of God was now open for everybody to see. By way of a little bit of review from last week, notice if you will. They had to find a perfect lamb. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to the father's household, a lamb for each household. If the lamb was too big to serve one household, they had to serve other households because there could be nothing left over. There could be nothing wasted. But notice something else. It couldn't just be any old lamb. It couldn't be uh, Daisy sitting out back where you spoon fed. It had to be a perfect lamb. The Bible said, for your lamb shall be, uh, 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 shall be an embellishment made a year old you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. It could not be blind. It could not have a crooked hoof or a broken nose or a crooked nose. It couldn't have any broken bones. It could have no scars, no scabs on its skin, and its wool had to be fleecy white. The lamb had to be perfect as far as perfect could be in this world. Why? What was so important? Because the outward perfection of the lamb was a picture of the inward perfection of our Savior, the Lamb of God. Amen. The outward perfection of that Lamb was a picture of the inward perfection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul said Jesus knew no sin. Peter said that Jesus was the Lamb uh, without any spot or without blemish. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was without sin. And further, I remind you uh, that the perfection of the Lamb had to be proved over a period of time. They didn't go out and get the Lamb and say, okay, we're going to crucify it today, sacrifice it. No, they had to hold it for four days. The Bible said... 
Ye shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. That means they had to pick the lamb out, had no broken hoof, no broken nose, no broken bones, no, no, no scab, no scar on it, on its skin, and the wool had to be fleecy white, and they had to keep it for four days. Why? Jesus observed, was observed for 30 years by family and friends. For three years, Jesus was examined by disciples and the multitude. As a matter of fact, his enemies even said they had to admit Jesus was without blemish. Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. And G Judas said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Even the demons had to cry out and say, this is the Holy One of God. And even God the Father himself said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus is not just a Savior among saviors. He is the only Savior. He is not a God among gods. He's the only God. He is not one alternative to get to heaven. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He is the only way to know the truth, to have life, to get us from earth to heaven. He who stepped out of eternity stepped into time to redeem us in time to get us ready for eternity. The Son of God became the Son of Man that we as sons and daughters of men might become the sons and daughters of God through the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord. A perfect lamb without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, without anything. He's the perfect Son of God. It's not him plus somebody. It's not somebody and not him. He is the only way. They killed the lamb. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. The chosen lamb had to be perfect. They kept it for four days and watched it. And then they would take a knife. One person would take a knife and slit the throat of that lamb. And warm blood would be brought out as it would poured into a basin. Neither the Passover lamb nor Jesus Christ died accidentally or of natural causes. Both were chosen and both were deliberately put to death. Even though they both were killed by one person, the whole assembly really killed it. If you notice the scripture says both the Passover lamb and Jesus were killed by the whole assembly. When the religious leaders cried out, crucify him, crucify him, let his blood be upon our hands and that of our children. Only one perhaps drove the nails in, but the whole assembly did it. Amen. On the day of Pentecost, Peter basically said the same thing. Therefore, uh, let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Not one man, but you crucified. Both the Passover lamb and Jesus Christ was killed by the entire assembly. When, the pass when was the Passover lamb killed? Literally, the Hebrew says, between the evenings, which according to Jewish tradition, was somewhere between three in the afternoon and six o'clock in the evening. When the Passover lambs were being killed in Israel, the Lamb of God was being crucified upon the cross of Calvary. The same day, the same hour, the same year, the Lamb of God was being slain the same way the lambs of the Passover were being slain. Get this, if you will. When both Passover lamb and Jesus were put to death, no bones in their bodies were broken. So both the Passover lamb and Jesus were put to death, though they were perfect. Both died the same day of the week, the same hour of the day, the same year, and no bones in their bodies were broken. 
Do you see the picture of Jesus in the Passover? That's who our God is. And it came with a cost. It came with a price. Thirdly, they sprinkled the blood. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it upon the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses in which they are aided. And the reason is clear, for I will go through the land of Egypt at night and fatally strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the human firstborn to animals and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood... Can you just stop right there and just praise the Lord? When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will come upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. There's redemption in the blood. Judgment was averted in the blood. Forgiveness is in the blood. Protection is in the blood. Nobody can get credit for the safety. Credit goes to the blood. The merit is in the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord. I'm going to tell you, there's power in the blood. There's forgiveness in the blood. There's anointing in the blood. There's acceptance within the blood. Without the blood, there is doom. We're doomed in life. We're doomed in death. We're doomed to sin. We're doomed to judgment. We're doomed to an eternity without God. But with the blood, I'm grateful I am a candidate for the things of God because I've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I have not been redeemed with silver and gold or precious metal, but I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord. I still don't understand how that blood cleanses, but thank God that blood still goes to the highest mountain. It still goes to the lowest valley. The blood that was shed at Calvary over 2,000 years ago, some way it made its way all the way over to America. Uh, the blood can touch you uh, in Burkina Faso, up Revolta. The blood can touch you uh, over in Tokyo. The blood of Jesus Christ can touch you in Vietnam. I don't care where you go. You can't outrun the blood. There ain't no devil can destroy it. There's no demon that can stop it. There's still power in the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord. And who the Son of God has set free. We are free indeed. I rejoice in the blood. Oh, there are people that oh, I don't want to talk about that old gory blood. I don't talk about old blood. Let me tell you something. There is life in the blood. Blood. And without the blood, there is nothing but death. If you don't mind, I'm going to give my Savior, my Holy God, my Holy Christ, the Holy Blood of Jesus. I give him praise today for I've been made whole through the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord. It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus put a period by it. I don't know how it works, preacher. You've heard me say, I don't know how a brown cow eats green grass and gives white milk and yellow butter and brown shoes, but it works. And the blood still works today. Amen. The redemption was in the blood. Safety was in the blood. Judgment was averted because of the blood. Now get this. There's no substitutes for the blood of Jesus. They feasted on the lamb. After the blood was sprinkled, the Israelites were to roast the lamb and eat it that very evening. While the Egyptians were dying, the Israelites were dining Note the contrast, if you will. The Egyptians were preparing for funerals. The Israelites were preparing for feasts. The, 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 the Egyptians were preparing for judgment, but the Israelites were preparing for joy. Egypt was experiencing judgment. Why should they eat the lamb whose blood saved them? 
Why eat the lamb whose blood had saved them? The lamb that saves is also the lamb that satisfies. Are you with me? Jesus who died for us is the lamb who we spiritually enjoy. Jesus said he was the bread of heaven and the bread he gave us to eat it was his flesh. When the Jews wondered about what does it mean? Let me tell you, when we have communion in a few moments, there are some denominations that believe in what is known as transubstantiation. They believe that this little wafer and this little cup of juice literally becomes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't believe that. We do not believe that Jesus Christ is on this table. We believe that Jesus Christ is present at the table. Amen? Amen? We do not believe in transubstantiation and whatsoever. Jesus simply said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of flesh, the son of man, and drink of his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is pure drink. Now, friends, we're not to take that literally. Cannibalism is not taught in the scriptures. Drinking of blood is wrong in the scriptures. Jesus wants us to understand this and he explains it. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. The point Jesus is making is after the blood has washed us, we should enjoy him and we should have our souls satisfied through the nourishment of the word of God that he gives us and through the partaking of his Holy Spirit on a day-by-day basis. We're saved by faith in his blood, but we grow through fellowship with him. I remind you, God is most glorified when we are satisfied with him. Are you satisfied with Jesus? What scares me today is there's a group of people around the world, they want to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. They say, okay, God, I'm saved. My, my, I'm going to ship my soul off to heaven, but don't you cramp my lifestyle right now. It's almost like we got fire insurance, but bless God, we're going to go ahead and strike all the fires they want. His blood take care of that. I don't want that kind of relationship. I want a relationship that if and when I sin, I won't go hide it. He told me about it. I can confess it. And if we walk in the light of season of light, the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us from sin. But too many people today want to get saved, and that's all they want to get saved, but don't cramp my lifestyle, Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, in order to enjoy life, it's not just enough to have your sins forgiven. We must grow in fellowship with him every day. Paul the Apostle said that it's in him that I live, that I move, that I have my being. It's in him that we become satisfied. It's in knowing him and loving him and serving him and obeying him and listening to him. It's a hoot every day if you're turned on with the Lord. But if all you got to religion has just saved you, I'm going to tell you something, friends. I challenge you. Where does the Bible even say Jesus came to save our soul? He wants to live in our body. And if he lives in our body, our souls are saved. But we're so accustomed to just saving souls, saving souls, that we forget to give him a body that he wants to live in. When God came to this earth, he prepared a body. Who was it? His son, Jesus Christ. And God walked in him and told him he was very God. When he went back, he said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit upon my body, which is what? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to put his spirit in us that we can be his hand extended, his mouth proclaiming, his feet walking his paths, our eyes reading his word, and our lips proclaiming everything he wants us to say. So if he is in our body and we give him access to our body every day, our soul cannot be lost. But we emphasize soul saved, soul saved, soul saved. Yeah, glory to God, we're saved, going to heaven, but God don't have nothing to do with my body now. He needs your body. Yes. 
He needs access through us to work upon this world. The world is going to hell in a handbasket, but he has given us a clarion call and a phenomenal message to warn the ungodly, to warn those who are hell-bound and say there's a heaven to gain, there's a hell to shun, and we've got the goods, the power, and the anointing to set the captive free. Why? Because he has access to our body. So he wants us to be saved, but he wants us to be satisfied with his body. Now, along with the lamb, the people ate bitter herbs, which symbolized the bondage in Egypt, and the unleavened bread reminded them they had to leave Egypt in a hurry. Leaven is a picture of evil. Jimmy, leaven is a picture of evil because it has a power that's much greater than its size. Paul talked about that. Leaven is a picture of that. Even a small sin can affect our lives. It can defile us, and it can defile many other people as well. So unleavened bread is a metaphor of spiritual cleansing. Back in Egypt, cries could be heard all throughout the area. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captives who was in dungeon and the firstborn of the cattle. Even Pharaoh's firstborn son who was destined to take his position on the throne, died. Can you imagine just for a moment what the Egyptians must have felt like? Pharaoh, you were our leader. We listened to you. We followed you. You said you were greater than this God of the, of the Israelites. And look at our firstborn children. They're dead. Yes. And he's over weeping. My boy's dead too. But I'll get even with my... He missed the point. It's not about getting even. It's about getting right. It's about getting right with God. And we find here that Pharaoh himself said something that blows my mind. Pharaoh called Moses and urged him, and he had this request. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and go and bless me also. Isn't it amazing how our enemies... If we stay true, how our enemies, if we stay faithful, how our enemies, if we go against their ridicules, vindicates his own name, God does. And Pharaoh had to admit, your, gods, your God is bigger than my God's. Amen. And the blessings that your God gives is better than the blessings our gods have not given. If you and I will be faithful and true in hard places, one day we'll be trusted by God in heavenly places. But the truth of the matter is, the world knows we've walked with God. And the, sometimes our worst enemies and our worst critics will come up and say, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And they have mocked you. They may have persecuted you. They may have made fun of you. They may have laughed at you and laughed at your God and laughed at your convictions. But when death comes, when trouble comes to their house, they're calling you down. Hey, 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 bless me. Pray for me. Church continue to be faithful. People are watching us. That night, about two million people left Egypt and they had provisions for their journey. Now remember, earlier the Israelites requested articles of gold uh, and silver and clothing from the Egyptians and that request was granted. They plundered the nation of Israel. You know why? They had been working in servitude as slaves for hundreds and hundreds of years. They were getting back pay. <laughs> Did you hear me? They were getting back pay with interests. God does not always pay on the 1st to 15th of every month. <laughs> but God always pays. We may not get everything we want in this world down here, but he keeps the book. Yes. 
And one day when we stand before him and we've been faithful here, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over the few things. Let me show you what you have inherited here. Payday is coming. I don't believe that preacher. I don't think God's going to reward us. Then don't you go to work for free tomorrow like most Americans do. We work because we need to get paid. We don't get paid, we don't eat. We don't get paid, we don't put gas in the tank, right? So most of us need more jobs to even make ends meet. That's another story for another day. They had been redeemed. Praise God. Now, after the nation left Egypt, the firstborn sons who had been spared of death because the blood had been applied over them, note what happens here. They were redeemed, were now required to be specially consecrated to the Lord. God redeemed them. Death angel came by, they didn't die. But now required, God required this. Sanctify to me every firstborn, the firstborn of every womb among the sons of Israel, among the people and animals alike. It belongs to me. They had been redeemed at a high cost. And now they were to be given back to God. I have been redeemed by a high cost. You have been redeemed by a high cost. God wants us to consecrate ourselves back to him. He wants us to give ourselves back to him, lock, stock, and barrel. Today, we're the firstborn sons of God. Paul said, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. When the Lamb of God was sacrificed on the cross of Calvary, he was forsaken by God in order that you and I might be accepted by that same God. We should gladly be sold out to him with everything that we have in our arsenal today. How do you become a child of God? How do you get set free from sin and from slavery and from Satan, that master Pharaoh? How do you get the devil off of your back and get life into your being? We apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our life by faith. We transfer our trust to him, accepting his sacrifice on our behalf. The question is not whether or not our sins are big or small. The question is whether or not we are under the blood and the protection provision of the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord. There is no small sin that God cannot forgive and there is no large sin in our thinking that God cannot forgive. Sin is sin and the blood takes care of it all. We escape the judgment of God through the blood of his son. When you and I stand before God, and trust me, friend, you will. It is an appointment that a man wants to die. This is an appointment you can't change. Your wife or your husband can't take your place. You can't kick the can down the road and reschedule. And you can't say, I don't want to show up. It's appointed that a man wants to die. After that, there'll be a judgment. And we stand before God, and he says, why should I let you to my heaven? Why should you come to heaven? Well, I went to church, filthy rags. I gave my money. Doesn't count, filthy lucre. Well, I knew the preacher. That's going to get you a long way down the road. You know what he's looking for? The blood of his precious son. All the works that we do are as filthy rags in the sight of God. But when I see the blood, I'll pass over. The picture of redemption in the Old Testament is the same thing in the New. But this blood removes the sin. And once we have been born again, 
His blood has been applied to our lives. We escape the accusation of the devil and the condemnation of Satan through the blood. Have you been condemned this week? Some old sin, some old habit, something that haunted you. Anybody? Come on, man. I know you have. We're out here. Sometimes that old stuff comes up. God's forgiven you of it, but it comes up. And the devil beats you over the head with it. And the truth of the matter is, what he's telling you is the truth. You did it. You did that thing or those things. Don't argue with him. He'll win the battle every time. You cannot argue the devil and win. You point him to the blood. What sins are you talking about? They are removed, not just covered, thank God. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. They're gone. Now, friends, we cannot literally apply the blood of Jesus to our hearts, but we receive the benefit of sacrifice through faith, by faith. I can't go to him and say, okay, God, wash me in your blood. No, I simply accept by faith what Jesus Christ has done, and I'm covered. I have prayed with I don't know how many people through the last 40-some years of ministry. I've been in churches. I've watched men, women, boys, and girls walk down an old aisle, and their lights were not on. There was deadness, dryness, no joy about their countenance. But I've taken them to the throne of God's grace. And we've led them in a prayer of repentance, a very generic prayer. Father, I am sorry I am a sinner. I'm sorry I've sinned. I confess my sin. I'm guilty as charged. Lord Jesus, will you please forgive me? And the best way I know how I accept you into my life, would you come and make me a new person? In Jesus' name. And I've watched miracle on top of miracle on top of miracle. A transformation. All of a sudden, there's life inside these eyeballs. All of a sudden, their whole countenance changed. They may have the same old clothes, same old hairdo. I've seen some had enough dirt in their fingernails to start a subdivision. But they left that place as a brand new creation in God. You know why? The power of the blood was applied to their life. Friend, I'm here to tell you there's still power in that blood. And there's no sense sitting here in sin. Wonder if you're going to go to heaven or not, or hell. There's no sense sitting here in your condemnation and fear. No sense being in bondage. No sense having these strongholds. If Jesus is the Son of God, he can set you free. If he's not, I'll throw this Bible in the trash can and we'll go do whatever you want to do. But I can highly recommend him to you because I have highly tried him. And his words are yes, and they are amen. Thanks to the blood of Jesus, we can get as near to God as his own beloved son. Forgiveness is costly. A high price was paid for your salvation. That was holy, innocent blood that was shed that you and I have access to heaven today. And to accept the blood gives us peace with God and gives us the peace of God. To reject the blood brings death, both for time and eternity. If you don't believe it, ask Pharaoh when you get there. He'll tell you, I messed up. I close with this. The greater the invitation of grace, the greater the judgment upon those who refuse it. The greater the invitation of grace, the greater the judgment upon those who refuse it. Today, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit is here saying, I love you just as you are, but I love you too much to let you stay that way. God has vested in you. God has vested and invested in you. You don't have to stay in your sins, in your fear, in your condemnation. He who the Son sets free is free 
in the Father.